Hello, friends. This is Darren Hayes of PigskinDispatch.com. Before we take you to your favorite Sports History Network show, just want to tell you a little bit about some merch that you can pick up that represents your favorite SHN podcast. So far, there's t-shirts, coffee mugs, and even books from some of the authors that do podcasts right here on SHN. Who could buy something better than that than have the history right from the, the gentleman that you hear talking about it? But we also are adding things each and every day. And where's that store, may you ask? Well, it's at SportsHistoryNetwork.com. Up at the top, there is the SHN. HN merch button. Click on that. It'll take you right to the store and you can be representing your favorite podcast and show the world that, hey, on the swag that I'm using, it's the headquarters of Sports Yesteryear, Sports History Network, and my favorite podcaster, the Sports History Network store. Shop there today. Hi, this is Richmond Webb, former offensive lineman for the Miami Dolphins, and you're listening to the official Football Learning Academy podcast on the Sports History Network. Welcome to the official Football Learning Academy podcast. I'm your host, Ken Crippen, and I'm the founder and lead instructor at the Football Learning Academy, an online school teaching pro football history. Today's special guest is Pro Football Hall of Famer John Hanna, who played with the New England Patriots from 1973 through 1985. Arguably the greatest offensive guard in NFL history, and some consider one of the greatest offensive linemen of all time. John Hanna made two all-decade teams in the 1970s and 1980s, earned trips to nine Pro Bowls, was inducted into the New England Patriots Hall of Fame, the College Football Hall of Fame, and the Pro Football Hall of Fame. In this interview, John gave us a list of some of the toughest defensive players that he faced throughout his career. We discussed those players in the Pro Football History Nugget of the Week. Now let's get to our interview with John Hanna. I'd like to welcome Pro Football Hall of Famer John Hanna to the official Football Learning Academy podcast. How are you doing today, John? Good, good. Now, Alabama is home for you. What is it about Alabama that you love so much? <laughs> it's the last place, I guess, where you, they uh, I can be a redneck. Uh, <laughs> I like it. Uh, it, it there's a more freedom here. Uh, there's still... Uh, you can be yourself. Uh, there's a lot of, I think we stand for what America stood for many years ago. And, uh, you know, it's given, been given a bad reputation through media. Uh, and there are a few bad actors in the past, but if you take the average Alabamian, uh, they believe in integrity and accepting each person as who they are and judging them based on their personality and their integrity and their character. And if you have integrity and in character, uh, they'll accept you no matter who you are or what color you are or anything else. Mm -hmm. So uh, I like that. And I'm, uh, one of the few places that it's uh, still allowed, so to speak. It's also beautiful countryside too. It's beautiful. Uh, I live in the hill section of it, uh, up in the northern part of Alabama, which is the foothills of the Appalachians. And uh, you know, it's rolling uh, area, and uh, I live in a rural area, uh, as you can tell. Uh, just got through. With my chores on the farm today, and 
I, there's nothing like being on a farm. Uh, nothing, uh, nothing brings you closer to God than being uh, out on a farm and seeing and relying on him for everything that you do and produce because he's the guy that controls the weather. Uh, he's the guy that controls a lot of things that most people think they have control over because they sit in an office all day uh, instead of being outside and and uh, actually seeing what's going on. They, they take what other people are telling them. You mentioned a couple of things here I'd like to dive into a little bit. So I know that you're a strong man of faith. Is that something that um, you've had that from a very early age, or did you develop it more as uh, you were getting later in life? Yes and no. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, when I was young, my parents raised me uh, as a strong believer. And, uh, you know, there. I think uh, as many of us do, we fall away at times. But then uh, God is faithful. Uh, he puts us through the treadmill, I think, and uh, makes us uh, have a time when we have to decide, are we really going to put our faith in him? Or, you know, and, and he just he, he puts you through the ringer and allows you to be tested. And uh, you can choose. Do you want to put your faith back in him or do you want to continue life independent from him? and enjoy the consequences of that. And so luckily uh, I chose. Uh, he put me in a situation where I felt like I had to choose. And uh, it, I guess this developed much further later in life. So there is a middle section that I'm not too proud of, but the younger section and the older section I'm hoping that God is happy with. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, you found your way back, so I don't see any reason why God would. It's wouldn't. all grace anyway, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, you had mentioned your farm. Uh, when did you buy that farm and when did you start working it? Well, this farm I bought in uh, 2008 or nine. I started building it. I started, I had my first land. I, I bought 80 acres and uh, started and then uh, was able to add another 40 and then uh, bought another uh, 100. And uh, just the other day, I closed on a number, another 32. So I got about 250 acres now. Oh, great. And uh, But I had about... Uh, my, I guess when I moved, when I, when I left the farm in 83, uh, because the kids were getting school age, uh, we, I didn't want to take them back and forth uh, between Alabama and, and New England. Uh, I sold my first farm and uh, I had about 200 acres, well, about 200, 220 acres up there in Painter. And uh, probably the worst mistake I ever made was selling it. Um, you know, it was a beautiful farm, and uh, uh, I'm just glad that uh, I was allowed to get back on the farm. It, it's a lot. I, I enjoy the lifestyle. You're not going to be rich, but uh, it's a choice. It's a lifestyle choice, and I love the lifestyle. And really, that's a richness in its own, you know, just that you love what you do. It's the best kind of rich. 
Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I know you raise cattle. Do you raise any other animals or grow any crops? No, I mean, we, you know, my wife has got it uh, on me to build, I got to build her a chicken coop. Mm -hmm. uh, she wants some chickens and that way she can save on egg money and, and we'll have different, uh, some different meat to eat besides beef every night. Uh, she's okay with not having hogs here on the farm. So mm -hmm. I guess the aroma doesn't appeal to her or something, but anyway, <laughs> <laughs> it, it, she, uh, we'll have, uh, so I want to do that. And, uh, but no, we're primarily, I'm a cow calf guy. Uh, we take our calves, we wean them at about eight months old and uh, raise them till they're almost a year, uh, which is about eight, 750 to 800 pounds, and then sell them as feeder, feeder steers. Mm. So, uh, and that's why I had to buy the other 32 acres. I was renting some land, and uh, unfortunately, uh, it got to where I uh, it wasn't feasible anymore. So, um, I've been, I wasn't able to do it for about three, two or three years now. So this year I'm hoping that I'll be back at it and I'll be feeding out steers and ready to go with it. And not only that, but, uh, we had some good luck. We, we put aside about, um, 10 steers, uh, two or three years ago, a couple years ago. And, um, sold to the public and that worked real well uh, we could offer uh, basically uh, by the pound uh, we could almost uh, sell beef <laughs> the whole beef steaks and all for about uh, the average price of a little bit more than what you'd pay uh, ground beef at the store and uh, I guarantee it's a lot better flavor Mm -hmm. don't get because we you know feed it a lot different so uh we aren't able to do it this year but i'm hoping um i'm i'm if i've got enough money left uh after uh this spring i'm planning on building me a feed barn and uh say maybe trying to sell another 10 to 15 head uh on private placement to people now, if I understand correctly, your father had a farm supply store and you worked in there when you were younger. Is that where you picked up the love of farming? Well, not only that, my grandfather, my mother's dad was a dairyman. And uh, uh, there are, I guess, two things in my life. Uh, he was a dairyman and uh, he was a circuit preacher, which meant uh, up in, we lived in North Georgia at that time. And um, so he would have about six towns that he had a church in and he'd go every week, he'd go to a different town. He went to um, Jasper and Tate and Ella J and all up in North Georgia up in the Blue Ridge and would preach once every Sunday. And then he delivered milk on the weekdays. So uh, he, he was, I guess I kind of copied after him and, I grew up, you know, my early part of my life, I, I was, matter of fact, I was living on, when I was born, I was living on the farm and uh, uh, my dad actually 
for my mother for the present for my mother when she gave birth to me uh, he uh, installed a, a pump water pump in the house and ran a pipe down to the creek so mom wouldn't have to uh, go down and draw water from the creek to have water at the house see she could pump it so that's how I kind of grew that's that was the first part of my life mm -hmm. and uh, that's how I, that's how I started out and people laugh at me, but that, you know, I was, that was 51 and, and, you know, we didn't even have electricity, had outdoor, you know, lived outdoor, you know, had outdoor toilets and all that stuff. So that uh, was, uh, I guess we're what most of the Yankees thought about me. We were a little backward, <laughs> but, uh, I thought it was pretty good. I enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun to me. Glad you enjoy it. Let's get to a little football now. So Patriots organization, how are they at uh, taking care of their alumni? Are they good to their alumni? Patriots? Yes. Now they are under Bob Kraft. Um, beforehand, they weren't real good. Uh, I remember uh, I went to uh, – I was supposed to meet some of the people at the stadium, uh, some of the organizational people at the stadium at one time. And uh, I went down there and uh, that was, they had had, they had gated up the old Schaefer stadium at that time. And I got to the gate and they didn't know who I was. and didn't have my name. So I turned around and went back home because they wouldn't let me in the stadium. Hmm. So that didn't fit. So that didn't sit, that didn't sit real well, if you know what I mean. Oh, yeah. Uh, but, so, but when Bob Kraft took over, uh, he has really done, I think, a great job taking care of his alumni. And not only the guys that played when he was owner, but the guys that were there when he was just a fan. So uh, my hat's off to Bob Kraft. I think he's, uh, uh, he's he is a good man, you know. So you're a supporter of his for the Pro Football Hall of Fame? Absolutely. He's one of the few owners, most owners, if you think about it, they're in the, you're either in the game to make money or you're in the game to win championships. And um, the, all the owners that I, you know, the owners that I had uh, were in it to make money. Uh, so what they would do is they'd get a good draft, that you'd go to the playoffs maybe one or two times, and then they'd cut payroll once season tickets, you know, once they sold out the season ticket sales. So then they'd cut payroll. And they'd have a few more years where they'd live off that season tickets and they'd ride that early money, get the interest and all that stuff. And then, well, once the season tickets slumped, then they'd build back up the team again. But they never really wanted a championship. They were just busy about selling tickets. So uh, Bob Kraft figured out how to do both. Uh, he won champions and made money at the same time. And uh, not many owners figure that out, but he did. 
and um, he's he's the best thing that ever happened in England football. Yeah, as a Bills fan, I know the success of the New England Patriots because you were beating my team every year. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, we didn't. Do, we we kind of when I first was the Patriots, the Bills kind of kicked our butts. You know, when OJ was there, and then. In the mid-70s, we started getting a little better and having a little more luck, but that was always a tough battle. Buffalo was a, a, always had a strong team, and uh, uh, that was during the era of Joe D and mm-hmm. all those guys, electric, what, electric, electric company, company yeah. and all that stuff, and mm-hmm. uh, McKenzie and – that was a good good group of guys. I I still in touch with Joe D all the time. He's one of my best friends. Do you uh, still go back to the Hall of Fame induction ceremonies? Always. Every well, when I unless something keeps me here, it's an emergency. Yes, I go back to Buffalo or back to Canton every year I can, uh, and I enjoy seeing uh, guys that I played with and visiting with them as you were growing up and in college who were some of the football players that you looked up to and tried to emulate well let's say i think you know and out when growing up and and we didn't have pro football in alabama uh so college football was our thing um so i grew up um and I guess my first game, my uncle was playing at Alabama in uh, what '57 when Coach Bryant came, and that was my—I remember going to the first game when I was like seven or eight years old. And uh, man, man, and they—they they were playing University of Georgia in Athens, and I, we went to that game. Just to show you how the games changed, uh, mom and dad, we wore a coat and tie to the game and my dad bought a corsage for my mom that's how that's how people went to the football games down here at that time mm-hmm. but anyway um so my uncle bill was a hero that was probably the first guy i tried to emulate he's first my you know he was at alabama then um you know i looked up to uh, leroy jordan uh billy neighbors uh, Ray Perkins, uh, Joe Namath. I mean, all those guys were the guys that I kind of followed uh, at that time. And, uh, you know, they, I, we really didn't watch a whole lot of uh, pro football. I, I watched Green Bay primarily not because uh, of Fuzzy or, or, or uh, Thurston, but I watched because it was Bart Starr from Alabama. And I watched the Dallas Cowboys because it was Leroy Jordan. So I watched pro football as a fan of Alabama guys that were in the pros, if that makes sense. That definitely makes sense. And uh, because we didn't have, we, you know, Atlanta didn't have, a, the Falcons didn't have a pro team. There wasn't the Nashville Titans. I mean, the closest, you know, it was all, uh, pretty much Yankee football, 
And we weren't, we, so Southern, you know, we didn't have any Southern pro teams except for Dallas. Really. You being an Alabama guy through and through, I'm guessing going to the university of Alabama under bear Bryant was a no brainer for you. No, it was different. When my dad was in the, uh, he he got he went in the navy as an able seaman, but a guy uh, noticed my dad's work ethic, and asked my dad if he wanted to become an officer. So dad said yeah, and he went to OCS school at the University of Georgia, officer candidate school at University of Georgia. Well, it just so happened that my mom was a professor at the University of Georgia, so that's where he met my mom, and so. When I, and then my uncle Bill, when he left Alabama, he went to coach out at, in California. He coached at San Bernardino Junior College, and then he coached at uh, uh, Fullerton uh, State um, and um, or Cal State Fullerton, and they had a football team then. And so I had three opportunities to play. You know that I considered one was uh, University of Georgia at, at naturally. The other one was uh, Southern Cal and the third was Alabama. And uh, my dad asked me one time uh, where if I'd made up my mind, I told him, I said, no, but I've got it down to those three. And dad says, well, you know, uh, I'll support you, John, no matter where you go. But uh, what you got to ask yourself is where you're going to eat when you come home. <laughs> so that made up my mind to go to Alabama. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Let's uh, move on to while you're with the Patriots. I know that uh, you played alongside Leon Gray, and I know that you're a big advocate for him. Tell me about what made him so special. He had power, but he also had just a sweet, what I call sweet feet. When when he 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 when he blocked, when he went when he pass projected or run ran block, he made it look easy. It was you know I you know you could see me strain and do things, and the, but he was just fluid. Uh, his all his motions were efficient. And he just was quick and, and strong and just um, he, he best, he's the best offensive tackle I ever played against, in my opinion. And I played against a lot of good tackles when I was played in the Pro Bowl. But I'll be honest with you, uh, for the type of offense that we ran, uh, there's not a guy that I would swap for that I played with for Leon because for the kind of offense that we ran, which was an attack type offense. Uh, and uh, I tell you, Leon was uh, the real deal. Right. Absolutely. He was a great ball player. I know in 1977, the two of you held out in a contract dispute. Can you tell me a little bit more about what happened with that? Yeah, we basically were, found out that we were making a third of what everybody else was making that went to the Pro Bowl. And we kind of said, maybe we need to do something. And 
we had had that first real run in the playoffs, and we we were excited about that and didn't want to hurt the team. And wanted to, so what we decided to do was go in and actually uh, do double days. You know, back then, double days were like eight weeks long. Um, and so we went in and did double days, but we told them that if we didn't have a contract, um, we would, uh, we're going to walk. And we're, the uh, last game happened to be the Falcons. So we didn't have a contract, and Leon now didn't show up for the preseason game. And uh, so that night, uh, Leon, we got a call from Chuck Fairbanks and uh, said, come over to our house. Howard Slesher was there, said, I think we got a deal. We go over, Howard's there. Howard looks at it and says, well, you know, I think you'll like this contract. It's not the best we could do, but given the circumstances, it's more than fair. And I think you ought to accept it. So we said we would. So uh, Coach Fairbanks said, well, I, I, let me go back. I've got to get approval one more time. I need to go back and make sure the Sullivans are agreeing to this. They'd already given the approval once. And uh, he went up there and uh Chuck Sullivan, who was actually running the team at that time, uh, I heard him say, Dad, don't do it. They're going to break us. <laughs> and uh, so anyway, they reneged on it. We held out three or four games and came back and had a bunch of death threats and all that kind of stuff. And But that's part of it. That's the only... <laughs> only uh, that's the only way we had to get our a fair contract or a fair uh, halfway decent contract because they didn't have free agency, you know. And uh, the owners were at that time. The, I think the it was below the payroll was only was below twenty uh, percent of uh, of what their revenues was. They were they were only paying about. 15 to 20% of their total revenues to the players and salary at that time, because there's no free agency. They didn't have to. Once they drafted you, you were theirs until they let you go. It was uh, awful. I think it was the next season when they traded away Leon Gray. Is that correct? It was uh, two years later. Okay. Uh, we had, we signed a three-year deal. And uh, it was up uh, at the end of the 79 season. So they basically wanted to break us up uh, so we couldn't both hold out at the same time again and, and us have the leverage for negotiating. They just didn't want us to have any uh, leverage. Your final season with the Patriots, um the beginning you lost three of the first five games but then you know you changed it and it went 11 and 5 for the season going to the super bowl what changed in the middle of that season for you to to go on that run and what year was this uh this was your final season with the patriots oh, yeah uh dick steinberg uh started drafting good players 
Uh, he got a great defense. I think the biggest thing was getting Andre T. Tippett and Donnie Blackman together on either end uh, because they couldn't double team one or both of them. Uh, and one of them was going to get, if they blitzed both of them, somebody's going to hit, get that quarterback. And plus we had Fred Marion at safety and uh, we had uh, Ronnie LePet and a few guys in, at corner. And uh, so we could man cover a lot. Uh, and, uh, so we could shoot those blitzes, and uh, that was, <clears throat> I think, our 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 defense was our strength in '85, not our offense. And so um, I think that was a big cause. And then I think another good thing was that the Patriots were trying to sell uh, the team, at, or the Sullivans were trying to sell the Patriots that year. And you know the NFL always allows the uh, or uh, lets the referees make uh, good calls for owners that are trying to sell the team, so they can increase the buying purchase uh, price of the team. And uh, so that was a good part of it too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we got a lot of good calls that year. <laughs> that always helps. <laughs> it, it it helps. It helps Oakland and. Uh, 76 when Al Davis was trying to get a new stadium. It helped Cincinnati in uh, 78 when Paul Brown wanted to sell the team and it helped the Patriots in 85. So there's a long history of it. (laughs) Now, speaking of that 85 season, you know, you're in the Super Bowl. Uh, Things didn't go very well during the Super Bowl. Oh, it's awful. Did you think at the end of that that you had one more season in you, or was your body at a point where you just needed to hang up the cleats? I wanted to have one more season. Uh, As a matter of fact, my goal was to play 16 seasons. And, uh, but um, uh, uh, I think it was two weeks, maybe one or two weeks after that game, no, it was a week after I came back from the uh, Pro Bowl. Uh, I was in uh, Mass General, and I had both shoulders operated on. I had torn both rotator cuffs, or both rotator the rotator cuffs and both shoulders. And uh, I had a knee problem that, uh, what, three weeks later, uh, after the shoulders kind of settled down, they went in on my knee and I'd torn my posterior cruciate uh, in 1977, but the team doctor uh, continued to allow me to to play saying it was a sprain, uh, but it was actually torn. And if, if uh, had they repaired it during that season, uh, you know, I would have probably had another year in me because shoulders were healed up fine. But then uh, after when they went in to do the knee, uh, it was bone on bone. And uh, basically the doctor that did the surgery at that time uh, said that, uh, he said, if you can have a choice, you can either continue playing or risk not being able to walk. Mm. 
I said, well, I think I'll pick option A. I'll think I'll leave the game. Mm-hmm. So that's what made, that's that was what caused me to leave the game. Who are the defensive guys that gave you the biggest fits throughout your playing career? Hmm. A lot of them. Uh, but Buchanan, uh, went early on in my career, just ate me up my rookie year. I remember that. That was totally embarrassing. Uh, Larry Cole, my second year, gave me a, a lesson in how to play football from Dallas. Uh, I respected Hans Johnson, and he always gave me a, a, a tough time. But I guess uh, the two, and you know, I'm going to break it down. Um, the best two pass rushers that I played against were uh, Alan Page and Randy White, mm. by far. Uh, the best run blocker, run guys, um, was. Uh, Ernie Holmes, because he's low and he, you know, thick, hard to get under. And then Perry, I mean, because he just weighed so much, it's like trying to move a side of a barn. Um, and then, uh, but the the two guys that I think gave me more problems all around, run and pass, and. The two guys that uh, I thought were, um, you know, they're the kind of guys that you'd have to shoot before they'd quit uh, was Howie Long and and Joe Klecko. Uh, Those were two of the best that I I think I played in front of, all around. A lot of big names there. Good good ball players. After retiring, did you want to have anything to do with football? I did, and I tried it, and uh, I wasn't cut out to do anything but play it. Mm-hmm. So you're talking about uh, going into coaching? Yeah, I, I've tried some, uh, but uh, uh, I, w- I wasn't cut out to be a coach. I'm not political enough. So other than coaching, um, what did you do after you retired? When I moved, I, I'm not one to let a lot of, uh, uh, you know, as they say, a rolling stone gathers no moss. Um, so when I left up there, I wanted to do something in the off season. So I got into financial services and, um, I got, I did that and then, um, um, got, um, uh, opened a little financial consulting firm, uh, where we worked with, uh, defined benefit, uh, retirement systems, uh, cities, towns, uh, trade unions, things like that. Uh, got got sold that, and then uh, after the workout, uh, you know that's when I tried a little coaching and was miserable at it, and then uh, uh, finally that's when uh, the good Lord finally kind of slapped me upside the head and said, "Why don't you get back to doing something you're supposed to do?" And that's when I got back to the farm. You get the call for the Pro Football Hall of Fame, and your father's the one presenting you for induction. What was it like having your father, who also played in the NFL, 
have well, him. At that time, at that time, you could not be inducted into the NFL unless the person inducting you had played in the NFL. So the rules have changed, and now parents can induct their children in. But at that time, when I was in, unless they, unless my dad had played in the NFL, he couldn't have inducted me. Hmm. So that's why he and, and I got the privilege of that's how I got the privilege of my dad inducting me into the NFL Hall of Fame. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Now he had played. Uh, your brother had played as well for a couple of teams. I think it was Tampa Bay and the Raiders. So what did you learn, especially from your father, about his experiences in the NFL in order to help you out with your career? Well, Dad only played a year. He was a 30-year-old rookie. You know, he was a World War II vet, got out of, uh, you know, the Navy in 20 or 50, 40. Let's see. He graduated from Alabama in 50. I think 50, 50 was his last season. So that means he would have started in 46. And then uh, he was drafted uh, by the Giants in 51. So he only played one year. And back then he only made 5000 a year. And, you know, my, my uncle and my dad and my grandfather ran the dairy in Georgia. My uncle got a little upset that dad was a partner in the dairy and dad up in New York for five, six months a year, not being on the farm. So dad uh, gave up football to come back to the dairy farm. Hmm. And uh, so he had a year. Uh, the, the best thing that ever happened is I called NFL uh, uh, saving what's his name for his company but anyway oh nfl films yeah yeah nfl films so we got i said you got any films for the 1951 football season uh they said well yeah I said we got a highlight reel i said okay so i said how much you want for it and they gave me so <laughs> we got it for i bought it for his christmas present one year and uh we went back to albertville and uh you know everybody had opened their presents and dad's sitting up in the den at the at the the house and he said and he's kind of moping around because his eldest son didn't give him a christmas present and i said oh by the way dad i said uh, uh your christmas presents downstairs so we already had the projector set up. We got him sat down in the sofa, and we turned that on. He he just said, "Well, I'll be damned." <laughs> that was it. He, he said, "You know," he says, "Well, I guess I can't lie to you boys anymore." That's what he said when it was over with. So it was kind of funny, and uh, but he he enjoyed that Christmas. That was a, a highlight. John, thank you very much for being here. I really appreciate your time. Thank you. Sorry it took so long. Uh, no worries. I hope that you enjoyed our interview with John Hanna, but we're not done. For the Pro Football History Nugget of the Week, we discussed the players that John mentioned as the toughest that he faced in his career, and the list contains some of the true greats of the game. 
We'll start with Buck Buchanan, the first overall pick for the Kansas City Chiefs in 1963. Defensive tackle, Buck Buchanan played his entire career with the team from 1963 through 1975. He was inducted into the Alabama Sports Hall of Fame, the College Football Hall of Fame, and the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Larry Cole. Cole played for the Dallas Cowboys from 1968 through 1980. He was drafted as an offensive lineman, but quickly changed to defense and played defensive end. When Bob Lilly retired after the 1974 season, Cole moved from defensive end to defensive tackle. When Randy White moved to defensive tackle, Cole moved back to defensive end. He is unofficially credited with 59 sacks in his career. Gary Big Hands Johnson, a defensive tackle that played for the San Diego Chargers from 1975 through 1984. Mid-season, he changed to the San Francisco 49ers and also played the 1985 season with the 49ers. He has been inducted into the Louisiana Sports Hall of Fame, the Chargers Hall of Fame, and the College Football Hall of Fame. Alan Page, arguably one of the best defensive tackles of all time. Page played for the Minnesota Vikings from 1967 through 1978 and the Chicago Bears from 1978 through 1981. He has been inducted into the Minnesota Vikings Ring of Honor and has had his number retired from the team. He has also been inducted into the College Football Hall of Fame and the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Randy White, the second overall pick of the 1975 NFL Draft, Randy White played for the Dallas Cowboys from 1975 through 1988. He started playing defensive end and linebacker his first two seasons, but moved to his now familiar defensive tackle position in 1977. White is a member of the Dallas Cowboys Ring of Honor, as well as an inductee in both the College Football Hall of Fame and the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Ernie Holmes, a defensive tackle that played for the Pittsburgh Steelers from 1971 through 1977, then a single season with the New England Patriots in 1978. A member of the famous Steel Curtain, Holmes is unofficially credited with 39 and a half sacks. William the Refrigerator Perry. A defensive tackle out of Clemson, Perry was drafted by the Chicago Bears in the 1985 NFL Draft. He played for the Bears from 1985 through 1983 before going to the Philadelphia Eagles for two seasons. He also played a single season for the London Monarchs of the World League of American Football in 1996 before retiring from football. Howie Long, a defensive end out of Villanova, Long earned eight trips to the Pro Bowl and was named to the All-Decade Team of the 1980s and has been inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And finally, Joe Klecko. He spent the 1977 through 1987 seasons with the New York Jets and then spent a single season with the Indianapolis Colts. He played multiple positions on the defensive line known as the New York Sack Exchange with teammates Mark Gassineau, Abdul Salam, and Marty Lyons. Klecko has been named to the New York Jets Ring of Honor and is now in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. A pretty impressive list of players. That's all that we have for this episode. Stay tuned to our social media channels to stay up to date on our episodes. You can find the links at the Football Learning Academy website at www.football-learning-academy.com. Not only will you find links to our social media channels and a listing of all podcast episodes, you also find other fascinating interviews and classes. And an important note, portion of all proceeds generated at the Football Learning Academy go to help retired players in need. That website again is www.football-learning-academy.com. Thank you for listening to the official Football Learning Academy podcast.
Hey there, Sports History fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. This is Mark Mortier, and if you're a sports history fan like me, tune in and hear me talk about some great sports moments of the past. Growing up during the 1970s, I got to watch some of the most iconic moments in sports history. Hank Aaron breaking Babe Ruth's home run record. Willis Reed limping out of the locker room in Game 7 of the NBA Finals at Madison Square Garden as the fans erupted with a thunderous ovation. The 1980 Miracle on Ice as Team USA defeated the powerful Soviet Union in the Olympics. Listen every Tuesday on Yesterday's Sports. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.